I like to read biographies, and uh, one of my favorites is the autobiography of George Mueller. He was a German evangelist that started a number of orphanages in Bristol, England. Um, George Mueller was unique in a lot of ways, but most known about him was for all the orphanage that he started, and eventually they had up to 10,000 orphans that they cared for at one time. He never asked or mentioned publicly any of the needs that the orphanages had. His I guess you would call his credo or his motto would be to solely depend on God through prayer. And one of the times or one of the ways that he prayed or one of the words from scripture he used the most when he prayed was Psalm 81.10 where it says, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. And George Mueller took that very literally and seriously to the point of one day at the orphanages early on in the ministry there, the children were all up and dressed for school, but they didn't have anything to eat or drink that morning. And so the house mother came to George Mueller and told, her, told them, we really can't send them to breakfast. We don't have anything to give them. So George Mueller said, send them anyways. Send them to the dining room. Send them to sit at the tables. And we're going to pray. And so he did. And they had 300 children at that time and no breakfast. And George Mueller, with all the children sitting at the tables waiting to eat with nothing on the tables, bowed his head and he prayed. And he asked the Lord in his prayer that his mouth was wide open and all the children's. And he asked God to fill it. And then they waited. Not even five minutes later, there was a loud knock on the door of the orphanage. And it was the baker in town. George Mueller opened the door and he said, Mr. Mueller, I couldn't sleep last night. And I had a feeling that all of you would need something for breakfast this morning. So I got up at three in the morning and I baked three entire batches of bread. And I've delivered them for you this morning. I don't know. Do you need them? And he said, yes, we do. And he took the bread in and they began to distribute to all the children at the tables. And as they were eating, another knock on the door. George Mueller walked over, opened the door again, and it was the milkman. And the milkman said, listen, I'm sorry, but I have broken down my cart with all my milk and it is broken down. The wheel has fallen off. And I've tried to fix it, and I can't. And before anybody could come and fix it, all of this milk I have is going to spoil. I have ten large cans. Could you use it? And he took it in. And that day, they had bread and milk for breakfast because they opened wide their mouth, and God filled it. That is an awesome story of great faith of a wonderful God who answers prayers in an amazing way. But I thought this week as I was thinking about our text, what if George Mueller heard God's word to start orphanages in England, but he didn't listen? What if he heard all of the wonderful promises in the word of God about how he answers prayer, but George Mueller never really took prayer seriously and obeyed God's command. What if he never had the faith to trust that what God says in his word will come true? You know, the stories that we would tell, we wouldn't be telling them. 
And all we could have thought was what might have been in Bristol, England in the late 1800s. But George Mueller believed God's word. He obeyed God's word. You know, there will be some people in life, perhaps you this morning, that you'll look back on your life and all you'll have is the ability to do this. Contemplate what might have been. See, there are some this morning you'll look back and say, what would have been, what might have been in my marriage if I had listened to God's word and God's voice on that Sunday? What might have been in my spiritual life? How would God have used me? You know what, maybe I would have reached my family with the gospel. What might have been if I had heard God's voice and heeded what he said? What might have been in my children's life? You know, my children were wayward and still haven't come back to God, but what might have happened? What might have happened in my home if I had listened to God's voice and his word? Psalm 81 and the verses that I read are structured with the main emphasis being on a verb that's repeated four times, twice in verse 8, once in verse 11, also in verse 13. It's the middle of the psalm. It's the climax of the message that he's giving. And the word is here. It's the word listen. It's repeated four different times, translated two different ways, but it is the exact same Hebrew word. It's the word shema. And it's the Orthodox Jews, even of our day, from Jesus' time until now, even to this day, twice a day, morning and evening, they quote Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4, which says, Shema Ya Israel, right? It says that we will listen, Hear, O Israel, Elohim, Adonai, Adonai, Echad. Our Lord is one. The Lord God is one. That is the orthodox creed of Jewish people for centuries, millennials. And here's what God says. Here's what you need to hear this morning. Let's get back to basics. Here's what he says. You need to listen to what God says. Asaph wrote this psalm. In fact, you can see the beginning of book three is Psalm 73. He writes the first 10 psalms. Who was Asaph? Asaph was a... Descendant of Gershon. You say, Pastor Walker, that didn't help. Well, he is the son of Levi. Uh, that may help a little bit more, but Levi was the one who all the priests came out of. And if you went to church, you would have said today, or you went in the tabernacle to worship back in those days, the Levites were the one who took care of the services. And inside that group was a group of people that did all the worship and the songs and the music, kind of like Dave Labal would do for us. And Asaph was one of the three people that David commissioned to lead and write songs for tabernacle worship before they had the temple. We might say that Asaph was the choir director of the first Jerusalem tabernacle choir. He wrote songs, and he wrote a song, and that's what this psalm is, that they were to sing during festival times. And the festival was mentioned there, blow the trumpet in verse 3, the new moon, the full moon on the feast day. That feast in Leviticus is the Feast of Tabernacles. And this is important, so listen. Seven days they had the Feast of Tabernacles. They lived in little booths that they would, rec- they would, re- they would construct, and they would live in these booths, not in their houses, but these little booths. And it would remind them as they celebrated God's power to deliver his people out of Egypt. When they were in slavery for 400 years, God delivered them. And then they lived in tents 
for the wilderness journey until they came to the promised land. And this feast reminded them of God's power to deliver and all the wilderness wanderings they had, and that's why they lived in the booths, and how God provided for all their needs. So if you look at verses 5 through 7, you hear little hints of that. He made a decree in Joseph when he went over the land of Egypt. I hear a language I had not known. I received, I relieved your shoulder of their burden. In other words, I stopped making you slaves. You were freed from the basket. In distress, you called me. When they are backed up to the Red Sea, God deliver us. And he says, you were distressed. And I answered you out of the secret place of the thunder. That was the cloudy pillar. And God was thunder and lightning in his presence. He said, I answered you. I came and delivered you from all of those things. I brought you through the Red Sea. And then it says, he tested them at Meribah. See, God says, I have the power to deliver you. I have the power to do all these things for you. But you had to be tested. Will you trust me? Will you trust me that I'm the same God of the Exodus, that not only can I deliver you from Pharaoh's hand, but I can provide the water that you need? Because Meramah in the Hebrew means to quarrel. It means to argue. And they had an argument with Moses and God because God wasn't delivering water when they wanted it and when they thought they needed it. And so they didn't trust God. And the psalmist wants us to remember that story because they didn't obey God's word. They didn't listen. They didn't do what God said. They wasted their lives. Almost everybody died in the wilderness and they spent 40 unnecessary years wasting their lives. And here's the reason, hear me, because they didn't listen to God's word. Today's message really can be boiled down to one phrase. What you listen to is what you live for. Can I tell you, and it won't be a shock to anyone, there are competing voices out there that want your and your children's attention. Everyone today, every single person here is listening to someone about how you should live your life. You have voices on social media, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. Hollywood is... All kinds of voices about how you should live and how you should look and how you should dress and what matters most to you. TV, magazines, YouTube, humanistic psychology, celebrities, music, and all the lyrics and the words telling you how to live, what's important, how to view life, and everyone and everything in it. Remember the old AT&T commercial, Can You Hear Me Now? Remember that? The guy walks around, can you hear me now? It's almost like God's come to church today, and you're all here, and he brought you here, and here's what he wants to to say this, can you hear me now? Can you really hear me? And God says, not just hear me audibly, see. The word Shema always means to hear with the intention of doing. God wants to know, will you hear me this morning? Against and over the cacophony of deadening voices, all around you, constantly bombarding us with another way to look at life. God wants to know this morning, will you hear me? This psalm very clearly indicates to all of us this morning, every single one of us, the importance of listening to God and the dangers if we don't. So you might ask this morning, well, Pastor Walker, how can I know? How can I know if I'm really listening to God's word. 
Well, there are two things or two ways that you can measure that in your own life this morning, and we're going to just look at both of them quickly. First one is this. If you want to know if you're really listening to God's word and obeying it, first thing, check your worship. Look at verses 8 through 12. He says, Hear, Shema, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me, and if you were listening to God, here's the first thing that would be true of you. You would be worshiping God only. See, this is the most basic thing. This is Judaism and the ABCs of Judaism. This is like the most fundamental thing. Talk about school. This is something you'd learn in kindergarten, right? This is the spiritual kindergarten lesson. Ready? Here's what it is. He says to them, do not have another God. I should say verse number 11, 12, sorry. Let me read it for you together. Verse 9. There is no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. That is Exodus chapter 20. This is the first commandment of all the Ten Commandments. This is the most basic thing about following and knowing and worshiping God, that you can only worship him. Now, why does God tell them that? Because what happened to them in the story that he's telling in Psalm 81, the first half? They got out of Egyptian bondage. They started to go through the wilderness. They started to quarrel. But before they got hardly anywhere after Sinai, at Sinai, they're getting the commandments from God. And what are they doing? They're taking all the gold and making a calf. That calf was one of the gods of Egypt. See, here's the reality. God got them out of Egypt, but he couldn't get Egypt out of them. And that's true of some of God's people. See, here's the re- if you're really listening to God's word and obeying it, here's what, what will be true. You will worship him alone. He says this in verse 10, I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. Read Exodus 32, 24 sometime. It's not just that they worshiped the false god and made the golden calf. You know what Aaron says to them? He says, here's your golden calf, and look at this golden calf, this idol. This is the God that brought you out of the land of Egypt. You know what? False gods are bad because they are true God substitutes. True God substitutes. The psalmist says, open wide your mouth, and I will fill it. Why? Because I am the God who brought you out. I redeemed you. I paid for you. I made it possible for you to become out of slavery. It's me. I'm the true God. I'm the power. And we know that about God. Listen, but we don't worship him. We begin to think that maybe there are other places, other ways, little G-gods that can satisfy us when our mouths are open. See, what God's doing here in the text, he's arguing from the greater to the lesser. If I could provide for you deliverance out of Egypt, don't you think if I could plague Pharaoh, 10 plagues, and and the most powerful person in the world succumbs to my power and wisdom, don't you think that if you needed bread and water that I could give it to you? Don't you think the lesser needs would be a piece of cake for me? But, we're at, but we know God saved us from our sins, the greater thing. He delivered us out of the bondage of the slavery of our sin. But we don't turn to him to find the satisfaction every day. God says, if you did, no matter how wide my mouth, your mouth is open, I can fill it. Not partially do it. Not mostly. God says, I can fill it. I can give you blessing and happiness and satisfaction you can't imagine. God says, your wideness is never a match for my fullness. 
But verse 11 says it for a lot of us this morning. Although all of that is true, it says in verse 11, but my people did not listen to my voice. They knew about me. They knew what I did in Egypt. They saw all of that. But when I told them I would provide for them, they wouldn't listen. And so they went back and got other gods, substitute gods, God, they thought, would do a better job of meeting my needs. And God says they didn't listen to me. And you know what that equals? Notice the verse in verse 11. My people didn't listen to me. Israel would not submit to me. This is a kind of listening that's not just a listening that doesn't pay attention. Remember when you're growing up and your mom's talking to you and you're playing or watching TV? Now today it would be video games. But your mom's talking to you, I want you to do this, and then I want you to do this, and and you're just going like... (laughs) And your mom says this. Did she ever say this to you? My mom said, are you listening to me? It was a rhetorical question, and she knows you're not. She's not looking for an answer. Because you're not paying attention. This isn't that kind. This is not, I'm not really doing anything wrong. I'm just not listening to what you're saying. No, this is way worse than that. You know what this is? This is a not listening because I don't want to do it. It's purposeful. The word submit means to be willing to yield. Israel says, I hear what you say, God, but I don't really want to do any of it. I don't want to trust you. I don't want to go through the wilderness. I don't want to do any of those things. And the Bible says that they turned, instead of to God's wisdom, to their own counsel. Why? Because they didn't want to worship God only. They didn't just want his wisdom. They wanted other gods, substitute gods, things that would tell them what they wanted to hear, things that would, they thought would satisfy them perhaps better than God would do. And so they didn't worship God alone. They added him. They put the golden calf in there, and they thought the little G-gods could do it for them. Have you ever done that? I have met so many people who think that their life is empty and that it would be satisfied if they were filled with a bottle of alcohol, only to find that their life is just as empty as most of the bottles they have hanging around. I've had people thinking that, you know what, the answer to my emptiness is having a full bed, having other people in there, and if I could just have a sexual this or that or the other... I've had people tell me, you know what, Pastor Walker, what I really think would do it for me if I just had a full wallet. If my wallet was full, and, that, and, you know what, and they don't realize that they could have all the money they want and all the accounts they want, and their lives still could be empty. If I could have a full house, and someone says, well, if I could just have children, and I could have this many children, and we'd have this kind of a family, and if I had that life, but they could have their people, their house filled with people, And it all feels like they're still alone. Why is that? Jeremiah 2 tells us, verse 13, the prophet writes, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and have hewed out for themselves broken wells. Broken wells that can't hold any water. Water was absolutely necessary in a desert climate to survive for you and all of your animals. And if you didn't have it, you would die. And it says, here's what my people do. 
They don't listen to me. And so instead of me, the fountain of water who could satisfy all of their needs, you know what? They try to say, I can do it myself. And here's my wells. See, I'll just store up the world's water. And even though there's holes in the bottom, so the more I put in the top, the more goes out the bottom. And I think this will do it, only to find out the more I put in, the more empty it is. And God says, that's what my people do. Why? Because they won't listen to me. They won't hear me. They won't listen to my word about what their life should be about, what their priorities should be, what their calendar should be filled with. And so verse 12, a horrible verse, God says this, I gave them over. That's what I had to do. So, so I had to, because there's, con- there's consequences of turning a deaf ear to God's word. I gave them over to their stubborn hearts. Do you see that your ear and your heart are connected? People who reject God's word here is because they've done it first here. Stubborn hearts. That's what Pharaoh had. You know what Pharaoh did? How many plagues did it take for God to have Pharaoh agree that they should release his people? One? No. Ten. You ever read Exodus 9? Sometime read Exodus 9, 14 through 16. God speaks through Moses to Pharaoh and says, this is, how, this is why I've raised you up. God said to Pharaoh, listen, by now I could have raised a pestilence and wiped all of you out. God said, if I wanted to, I have the power. I could have brought a sickness into Egypt and all of you would have been wiped out and died and my people could have just walked off. See, God said, I only need one plague. I only need one, and I could have wiped you out. But I didn't do it that way. I, I brought ten plagues. Why? Because the, I, God says, I want to show you my power, and I want to give you a chance to respond to it. But you know what Pharaoh did? He hardened his heart. Listen, over and over and over, God would say this, Pharaoh would seem like he wanted to agree to it, and then he'd go back on it. Over and over and over. He listened, but he never really heard. And eventually, the more you hear and the more you disobey, the harder your heart gets. Is that you this morning? Stubborn is a word that describes the heart of Israel 21 times in the Old Testament. Is it a word that describes yours? See, you know what God says about... And you know what's on your mind right now. And you still refuse. And you follow your own counsel. You see, you think you know better about who you should date. And you think you know better about who you should marry. And broken relationship after broken relationship, tears, I'll never do that again. I won't have that kind of guy in my life. But you do. And over and over, God talks to you. And over and over again, you don't listen because you're not submitting to it. God says, stubborn. See, you know what God's word says about giving. You know God says you should give at least 10%. And you know God should have the first and the best of your offerings But you don't listen because you make excuses. God, I know this is on my life. And God, if you realize I had this bill. And God says, when will you honor me? When will you honor me first with tithes and offerings? When will you stop taking my money? And we believe that we can do it ourselves and God really won't care in the end. Stubborn. 
We know what God's word says about reading our Bibles and praying and looking at the stuff that we privately do on the internet. We know what he says about it. We know what he says about being faithful to serve in God's church. We know what it says about sex and money and pleasure. We know what God says. And over and over, he keeps talking to us. But we don't listen. And even this morning as I'm speaking, you're thinking about the things in your mind and you're minimalizing it and you're trying to deflect it. You know why? Because you're doing it again. You're trying to not listen because you're stubborn. See, there's one way to figure out this morning, one way to measure whether you're actually listening to God's word and obeying it. You know what it is? It's your worship. Who's first? Who's really supreme in the affections of your heart? Where do you really go to have your mouth filled and satisfied? God says, if it's not me, you're not listening. But the second one is not only check your worship, he says, but if you want to know if you really hear my voice and obey it, check your walk. Look at verses 13 through 16. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. And Now listen to the emotion. God is not just saying, oh, I wish you would listen. It's not like he's your counselor and he's trying to help you through a problem. No, this is God. This is like a parent. This is God, your father. You are his people. Do you see the pronouns? God says, you're in my family. I died for you. I rose again for you. Oh, that my people would listen. The last time he uses that word, Shema. Oh, that they would listen, because if they did, here's what would happen. Oh, that Israel would walk in my ways. See, here's how I know there's a a person and is a Christian who is listening and obeying. They live differently. They walk in God's ways, not their own. The word walk is used in verse 12, even though it's translated follow. Verse 12 says, So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to walk in their own counsels. See, who you listen to is who you live like. Your worship determines your walk. If God isn't first, then you're going to start walking how you want to walk. You're going to make decisions on your way of thinking and your counsel, and your kids are going to be hurt by it. Your marriage is going to be hurt by it. Your finances will be hurt by it. God says, because you're stubborn. And then he says a negative and positive example, and this I'll close. God says, I want you to know that when you choose to listen to yourself or listen to the world, and you don't listen to my word, it's like choosing for me to be on the side of your enemies. Verse 14, here's what God would have done if they would have listened. He says, I would soon subdue their enemies. I would turn my hand against their foe. God says, see all the problems you have? See the battles that you're facing? God says, I would have turned those around. I would have fought for you. But when you disobey my word, it's like choosing to say, God, why don't you go on the enemy's side and fight for them? I would have defeated your enemies. I would have had all of them taken care of. And they would have cringed when they thought about doing those things to you because I would have been in your stead. I would, verse 14. I would, God says, verse 16. See, let me tell you this. There are some of you who have already and will do. You will continue to fight battles that you have never had to fight. You will have problems that you would have never had to have those problems. 
There will be outcomes that you would never have had to face. You might not have had a war zone in your marriage if you would have listened. You might not have had a marriage that ended in divorce if you would listen. You might not have ruined that friendship. You not, might not have thrown that career out the window. You might not have been, in some cases I've talked, you might not have been arrested. The police wouldn't have had to come get you, but you wouldn't listen. George Armstrong Custer. You know him, right? He was in the U.S. military. He was famous. Custer's last stand. What you don't know about it, and I've read the books on it, is that it wasn't Custer's last stand. He was slaughtered. It wasn't even close. He wasn't heroic. He wasn't brave. He was disobedient. You know, General Custer had a flamboyancy about him, and everybody thought he was a natural-born leader. But you know, before he died on that hill, the little bighorn in Montana, you know, you know what happened to him? He was court-martialed twice. Kicked out. You know why he was kicked out of the military? Because he wouldn't do what his superior officer said. And one time when he wanted to and he hadn't seen his wife in a while, he left everybody and just traveled across states and went home to see his wife. And he was gone for a year. They kicked him out. Custer was a guy who said, hey, listen, I don't have to listen to you. You know, two days, two days before he died on that, in the little bighorn thing, you know what his commanding officer said? I want you to take these men, 600 of them, and I want you to look out, scope the Indians out, scope all that's going on, and then I want you to wait there, and all the reinforcements will, will come, and then we're going to do something You know what Custer did? None of that. <laughs> he took his 600 guys, put them in three groups of 200, and sent them in different ways. And he himself, because he wanted the glory, he was going to ride through the middle of the Indian camp because he thought they were all scared of him. And in the past, they had been. He was going to ride through the camp and scare them so bad that they would surrender. That's what he thought. But what he didn't know is the months preceding that battle, that all the Indians from all the other reservations in place that had all come and gathered in one place. So that day when he rode with his 200 soldiers, it wasn't a handful of Indians. It was 10,000 Indians. 10,000. And when he obeyed, they all circled together and got their rifles out. And did you know that not only did the Indians have bows and, in, and arrows, but they had better weaponry than, than Custer's people. They were wiped out, they said, in less than 10 minutes. He was shot in the chest, and he was shot in the head. You know why he died? Because he wouldn't listen. But it was a pattern in his life. It wasn't the first time, over and over and over. And see, for Custer, because the first two times the repercussions and consequences weren't that bad, he thought he could still do his own thing. He listened to himself, and you know what? It cost him his life. But the rest of the story is this. Did you know he had four members of his family? He even took someone as a photographer to take pictures of his great victory. All of them died. All of them, including all the, there was only one horse standing. They killed all the animals. Everybody, his family died. Why? Because one man wouldn't listen. My dad told me when I was 16 that he was going to buy me a car. He bought me this little red Fiat. It was a little teeny car, real low to the ground, had a convertible to it. I, 
Man, when you're 16, he should never have bought that for me. I wasn't ready for anything like that. One day, my dad was going out of town with my mom and said, hey, listen, we're going an hour away, and we're going to come back later today. But here's what, it's going to be really bad weather here, so don't drive out of town. Meaning, don't go see your girlfriend 20 minutes away in Fostoria. Sure thing. So, so my dad leaves. He wasn't even gone 20 minutes. I was in my car, and I went to see my girlfriend. Because it was beautiful skies out. And I figured my dad's not coming back till 5 o'clock. It's only 8, 9 in the morning. <laughs> in 20 minutes, I could make it there back easy. So I go there, had a great time with her and her family, having a great time. And then it started to rain. But it was only a few drops, I told myself. It rained. I mean, it came on like you can't even believe. It rained so bad, and where they live, it flooded everything. Remember my little car, low to the ground? Remember that? They had signs at the end of her road. You can't go past the end of her road. It was all flooded. Hmm. I could do it, though. I got to the end of the road, drove around the signs, started going down the road. I mean, the water, it's like I'm going through a river. And I didn't make it. My car stalled. I didn't know what to do. So I got out of the car, left the, in the middle of the river, and walked back. I had to walk back to her house. And you know what I had to do? I had to call my dad, <laughs> who wasn't home yet. I called him. He goes, son? I go, yes. Why are you calling? Because I'm an idiot. <laughs> I called him. I said, you know what, Dad? Remember that thing you told me not to do? Yeah, I did it. And my car is stuck. I can't get it out. I'll be there. Oh, <laughs> that wasn't good. He got there. My dad, of course, he has Jeeps. So he comes, puts it up, hooks it up to it. And my little car goes up in the air. And he starts, he pulls me out. He goes, get in the car. And I go, he goes, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I go, what? He goes, give me your keys. And I lost it for three months. What a lesson I learned. You know why? Because I wouldn't listen. Because I thought I knew better. See, this morning, listen, he says, you wouldn't fight those wars. Those wars wouldn't be on your doorstep. And then he says this in verse 16. Did you look at it? I would have given you the finest wheat and I would have given you honey from the rock. You say, what are those two things? Those two phrases exactly come from Deuteronomy 32. When Moses stood before Israel on mountains, two mountains, he says, here are the covenant blessings, here are the covenant cursings. If you will obey my word, you'll never have any of these cursings. If you obey my word, you will have all these blessings. And you know what two of them were? The finest wheat and honey from the rock. You know what the psalmist is saying? See, if you would listen to me, if you would listen to me in your family, in your marriage, in your life, if you would listen to me, I have blessings, blessings for you. But you know what? You will never have them. And all you'll be able to think about is what might have been. And you know why? Because you wouldn't listen. Listen, God has brought you here this morning. And you know why? He wants to tell you, this is your chance to listen. I've told you this over and over again. Is today the day that you will open your ears and open your heart 
Will you obey? Will you submit? Will you do what I'm asking you to do? It may be hard. It may be humiliating. It may be embarrassing. But God says, do you understand? You're missing out on the life I have for you. And it's all because you won't hear me. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, would there be anyone this morning who would say, Pastor Walker, I hear you. And you know what? I'm, not, I'm glad for that. But more importantly, have you heard him? Have you heard God? See, he's speaking to you through his word. Here's what I have for you. The finest wheat, honey from the rock. If you will listen but would every head bow and every eye, would be someone here this morning say, listen, Pastor Walker, I've heard him. I've heard him so many times. I haven't submitted. I haven't obeyed. I know this area, this thing in my life. It's not what it ought to be. But I want to walk in his ways. I want to worship him only. I want him to be the center of my life. And this morning, by his grace, I want to listen and do what he's been asking me to do. I don't know what that is, but you do, and that's most important. And with every head bowed, would you say this, Pastor Walker, here's my hand, pray for me. Since today I need to listen to him and obey what he says, no matter what it means. Thank you. Anyone else, just slip your hand up and I'll pray for you. I need to listen. Thank you. I, I see your hand. Anyone else? Main floor of the balcony. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Anyone else? Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. I see your hand as well. I'm listening this morning. And, I, and you know, when I leave here, I'm doing it today. I want to listen to him so I could live for him. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? Father, thank you for the hands that were raised. I pray for every one of them that you would help them to hear biblically here, that today you would connect their ears to their heart, that they might listen to your voice about the things that they know are disobedient in their lives, and that you might give them through your spirit and grace the strength and ability to obey. God, help them to obey your voice today, make a difference in their lives, change their lives for your glory as you give them ears to hear and hearts to understand. Oh, Lord, break our hearts to those things that break your heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In response to God's word, let us cling to mercy. Let's run to him, because God is a merciful God. Please stand as we sing his mercy. His word.